Yeah, all of a sudden we went from uh, summer to uh, fall in like what, 24 hours? So uh, this morning I invite you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus because nothing says the Christmas holiday is coming like the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Good. What's that? Can I have my stick? Um, Can I have my stick? Okay. Hang on. Technical difficulties. One moment, please. Do, 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 do. <laughs> do, 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 do. I can barely hit that note. <laughs> do, 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 do. All right. So, where were we? Oh, yeah. Book of Leviticus, because that is the holiday book. Um, nothing like, you know, rabbinic law to, to get us rolling. Um, I want to start uh, by telling you a story about because my story doesn't make any sense if there's no picture. So I'm going to vamp right now, which is really a bad thing to do. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, there we go. There it is right there. Uh, I want to tell you a story about a dog that um, we had when I was a kid. Can I have the next, next slide? Yeah, there it is. <clears throat> um, there's two things I want to say about this picture. First of all, I see that the, the dog has got that look on its face like, what are you doing? And secondly, yes, I recognize at this point I had hair because this, this awesomeness took time to actually forge over a period of time. Uh, that's me, I'm probably about, I don't know, 13, 12, something like that. And those great big glasses were really cool in my day. So um, that dog, his name is Ben. And we had Ben for a number of years. Ben was a great dog. For the most part, Ben, however, had this uh, had this tendency. He liked to um, he liked to escape. Let's put it that way. And the thing that always struck me about that dog is that the the gap between the frame and the door could be like this much, and that dog would figure out how to slip through and just off like a shot. And every now and then it would it would happen, and and uh, he'd take off running. And my dad grabbed his car keys, put on his boots and his coat. And what he would do is he'd get into into a van. We had this 1976 Dodge window van that we called the Millennium Falcon because it kind of blew up like the Millennium Falcon did, if you remember the movie. But anyway, he would he would get into the van and he would coax the dog with the promise of a ride if the dog would come back. And typically speaking, you open the door, the dog would jump in, my dad would go around, around the block and come back in, and you know, all would be good. Well, <clears throat> you can see where this is going, right? So one, uh, one year, about three days before Christmas, that dog took off. And there must have been some holiday joy in that dog's heart because the plume of snow flying up behind him as he ran down our driveway into the neighbor, neighbor's yard and, and towards the lake that we lived near was, was pretty spectacular. I mean, just snow flying up and everywhere. So my daddy grabbed his keys, grabbed his boots, grabbed his coat, went out, started calling for the dog. The dog never, never showed up. And we thought, uh-oh. So we spent the rest of that day driving up and down the streets of our little town, calling Ben, Ben, where are you? No dog. And a couple hours turned into a day, no Ben. A couple of days, a couple hours, and a day turned into a night, then a couple of nights. And on Christmas Eve day, still 
no dog. Now, where we, where, where we lived in Michigan, uh, it was a very, very possible that that dog fell through the ice. And we thought, he's gone. Got hit by a car or something, because the dog had never been gone that long. <clears throat> so we weren't really, really sure what to do, but I gotta tell you, Christmas Eve felt funny because we were missing the, the dog. It was like part of our family wasn't there, and you know, we had a stocking for the dog. I mean, don't laugh because you all have stockings for your pets too, right now. And so we had the same thing, and we had bought you know, Christmas presents for the dog and whatnot, but the, Ben wasn't around. Well, we, 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 we spent part of you know, Christmas Eve you know, searching kind of half-heartedly, knowing full well that the dog was probably gone, and finished our preparation, and then we went to, to church and went to bed that night. Very early Christmas day, uh, I heard some commotion out in our, in our kitchen, which was very unusual because I am an only child. And I will tell you that I'm the one who's up early on Christmas day. Always was. Mom and dad, bleary eyed, been playing, playing Santa Claus the night before or whatever. And, and uh, so I was up. So the fact that they were up was a bit new. And so I got up, kind of whatever, and my dad had heard a sound by the back door. And he opens the back door, and sure enough, there's Ben. Only he's not white like that. He is black, and he is gray, and he's smelling decidedly of dead fish. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> we're, we're just very happy to see him. So my dad grabbed him, brought him downstairs to our basement, put him in the laundry tub, gave him a quick bath, and we had a great holiday celebration. In fact, if you talk to, to my mom about it, she remembers it very well. And it was one of those, one of those, uh, those stories that if you, if you packaged it right and, and you put a couple of B-list actors, you'd have a great Hallmark Channel, Hallmark Channel holiday special, I'm telling you. It's one of those things that we remember. Uh, anyway, 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's really great, especially at Christmas time, when you receive something that's extra or unexpected, right? When somebody gets you that perfect gift that you weren't expecting, or um, they just... You, you had no idea it was coming your way. And, and we, we love those kinds of stories. It's one thing when we spend time during the year actually working for something and investing our time and energy into it and then receiving a reward for it because there's a certain amount of expectation to that, right? If I work hard and I do the things that I'm supposed to do, I should, you know, A plus B equals C. You know, we, we, we do these kinds of things day in and day out and we expect it. But but every now and then, we get one of those great big surprises <clears throat> where we just start, we just feel, I guess the word is overwhelmed by thankfulness. You know, you just, you, you just stop and you go, wow, that, that's amazing. There's a certain amount of gratitude. And the thing that, I think this is part of human nature is we want to do something about it, right? When we, when we have that overwhelming sense of gratitude, when we're really thankful, we want to do something. Like in some cultures, they bow or they give gifts because they receive something and so they feel like they have to reciprocate. Or, or even just the fact that a handwritten thank you note, right? How many of you grew up where after Christmas you had to spend time writing thank you notes? Yep, mm -hmm. right? Kids today, I don't know what they're talking about. Let me tell you, responsibility for all those gifts. You know, we do. We 
we do these things that we want to do something in, in return, right? I think that's just part of, of human nature. So let me switch gears for just a moment, and let me suggest to you that in ancient times, um, in ancient times, God established a relationship with the people of Israel. And he did this uh, in, a, in a variety of different ways, but one of the components of that is that he designed a certain amount, uh, a certain uh, number of rituals and sacrifices that kind of defined that relationship that he would have. It, it would atone for their sin, it would help them stay in relationship, not only with him, but with, with each other. And there were specific times, specific places that they had to do these, these rituals. But sometimes, sometimes, people received extra blessings. And they wanted to express themselves um, to God very specifically about it. So while we had these, these, these set sacrifices and rituals, God also gave them a way to express gratitude through a very special offering called the peace offering, or the fellowship offering. Uh, some translations um, do it a little bit differently. <clears throat> but this idea of the peace offering comes from uh, a Hebrew word. Next slide, please. A Hebrew word. Next slide. Shalom. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but the Hebrew word shalom means, generally speaking, peace. The problem is, is that in kind of our Western culture, when we think about this idea of peace, we think in terms of inner peace, something that I have personally. But that's not necessarily the Hebrew understanding of shalom. A Jewish understanding of shalom is that we have peace between each other. It is a relational idea. It means that we are in balance with one another. We are in equilibrium. I'm living up to my end of the relationship. You're living up to your end of the relationship. And therefore, there is balance. And shalom is one of those concepts that is threaded throughout all of scripture. And here we have this um, very specific shalom offering that God allows his people in order to express a certain amount of thanksgiving. Okay? So stick with me here because I think um, this is going to help. Um, help us understand it a little bit more. There were three times specifically that you would use or that you would engage in a shalom offering. Number one is that you would um, do it if you fulfilled a vow. If you had made a vow to the Lord and you had completed it, you would bring a shalom offering and you would say thank you for helping me you know, fulfill this vow. The second time that you would use it <clears throat> is when you were delivered by God from a dire need. So let's say there's something, you were just in a terrible set of circumstances and God moved in a very divine way and you would say thank you to God by bringing you a peace offering. Okay? Third is that um, you would use it as a free will offering to thank God for unsought generosity. When it was something that was unlooked for or un, um, that you weren't expecting, that was kind of a surprise, but it was clearly something that God had done, you would bring a shalom offering. Does that make sense? So there's, there's a, this idea of fellowship and, and, uh, and shalom is very much tied with thankfulness and gratitude within in the heart. 
And it was an offering. And at that time, it was a sacrifice. So here's the first place that we find it in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 3. If your offering is a fellowship offering, a shalom offering, and you offer an animal from the herd, whether male or female, you are to present it before the Lord, an animal without defect. So you can bring a sheep, or you can bring a goat, or you can bring cattle. It's entirely up to you, but the, the point was that if you, if you were going to make this offering, you would include uh, that it would, be, it would be an animal first. However, there's a little twist to it. <clears throat> Over in Leviticus chapter 7, um, we find uh, 7 verse, verse 11, if they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, again, this is the idea of the shalom offering, they are to offer thick loaves of bread made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in. Thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil and thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded and with oil mixed in. And all of a sudden, I really want Mediterranean food for lunch today. <laughs> So you would not only bring um, an animal, but you would also bring um, bread as part, of, as part of this particular offering. Now, most of the time, sacrifices were made. You'd kill the animal, and it would be, it would be burned. So what would happen is you would take your animal, the priest would um, slaughter the animal, sprinkle blood on the altar, and then burn the animal on the altar. Um, in fact, this is a, a picture of what one of those altars may have, um, or uh, sorry, the archaeology of, of the remnants of, of one of those. Uh, there'd be a ramp up here, usually of wood, and um, and then the fire would be in here, and they would they would burn the animal, and they would burn it entirely. In fact, um, there are places in the scripture where it says that the burning animal was uh, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Apparently, apparently, Catholics barbecue. <laughs> I understand why. But that, the entire um, sacrifice would be burned, and certain parts would be set aside for priests, but you, you, would, you would burn the entire animal. Now, Shalom offering was different. The Shalom offering, a portion of the animal was burned, the rest was cooked, and you were allowed to eat some. So you get a little bit of cooked meat, a little bit of bread, you make sandwiches, I guess, I don't know, and you would eat it as a part of the thank offering. So let me get this straight. It's not that I'm making a sacrifice to God and he gets the whole thing. God is actually sharing the sacrifice with me. Isn't that fascinating? You see, in, in the ancient Near East, Everybody sacrificed. All religions had some kind of sacrifice. God just put some regulations around it for his people. But this guy was different. This guy ate with his people. He shared. This was unusual, and this was different. This was not necessarily seen elsewhere within the ancient Near East. So God shares the food. God celebrates with his people. Now, this happened millennia ago. Fast forward. We have a man named Jesus. Jesus comes, he walks the earth, he does his ministry, and he gets into a certain amount of trouble for it. And before he leaves, 
he gives his, his disciples, his followers, a very simple ritual that involves bread that's supposed to represent the body, the juice, which is supposed to represent the blood. We participate in it periodically, call it communion. Here's what I find very interesting. It's kind of thinking about this this week. In Jesus, God fulfilled his vow to send the Savior to put things to right. Because remember, way back in the Garden of Eden, human beings chose against God, and, and we ended up with this mess. But God has this commitment to his creation and said, I'm going to send a Savior. And in Jesus, he fulfilled that vow. In Jesus, if you think about it, we are all delivered from a very, very dire need. It's called sin. We're all predisposed to it, every one of us. I don't know about you, but I'm very good at making choices where I'm at the center of them. I'm pretty selfish. And that selfishness leads me, leads me to, to make sinful choices. We all do. But in Jesus, we have been saved from that. We've been delivered from that. And also, in Jesus, we receive God's grace, right? That's the word that we grew up with, grace. Which is just a fancy way of saying unsought generosity. God made the move when I couldn't. And so because of his generosity, we have a way out of not only sin, but also death. In Jesus, there's no more sacrifices that we need to make at an altar to be burned up. And in Jesus, we actually have shalom with God. We have that restored, reconciled relationship. Isn't that cool? And we have this ancient sacrifice that that meant something to people. And in Jesus, he comes along and he wraps it all up into one package. And then, and then he says before he leaves, let me give you a simple ritual to take the place of all of those other sacrifices and rituals because I, I took care of the sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And, and here's something that you can do. And, and the best part is we get to drink with him still. I find that very exciting. What a neat way of understanding this practice that we do periodically, that Christians do all over the world and have been practicing for 2,000 years. We are part of something much, much bigger and we get to do this. And I find that just an amazing connection between these two things. And, and, and in certain traditions, they call this practice the Eucharist. The Eucharist comes from a Greek word. And you know what it means? Are you ready? Thanksgiving. It means gratefulness. And so we participate in this thing called the Eucharist as a way of thanking God for what he does. And the way we thank him, thank him for it is we remember what he did on the cross 
that we remember the resurrection. Because if we don't have the death and resurrection of Jesus, like, like Pastor Dan said earlier, all we have is another religion. It's just something empty. Because of the death and resurrection and because of his Holy Spirit, now we get to be in relationship with him. Not religion, but relationship with him. And so every time we gather together and we, we take the bread and we take the cup, we participate and we remember and we thank you for what you've done to eat with him.